Hi all, and on this week's episode of Dudes of Kung Fu, Alex and I answer the question, where do you draw the line between personal expression and preservation of one's lineage? Alex also dropped some bombs in the defense of the truth when it comes to Grandmaster Lung Ting and his history. And Sean, me, the big guy, the good-looking one, the reason you listen to the podcast, talks about um, broken rhythm in Jeet Kune Do and uh, ways to employ it. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Dudes of Kung Fu. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of season two of Dudes of Kung Fu. Yes, we are back and better than ever. How you doing, brother? Really good. I'm doing the podcast again from my school this week. Uh, but unlike last week when we had our awesome guest, uh, Burton Richardson, actually there's a class going on upstairs right now. We have a monthly review class. So if you hear any kind of loud banging or anything like that, it's not a girl that I have locked in the closet back here. This is actually my students punching each other in the face upstairs. Uh, so uh, just that you have to excuse any kind of weird noises you might hear. All right, good. And, you know, I didn't know we were—I didn't know we were talking about the whole girl locked in a closet thing on air. But since you're comfortable with that, we can make that the first topic of discussion. Oh man. So last week we had a really awesome uh, guest with uh, Burton Richardson. Uh, a lot of people seemed to really like it. I had a great time. That was actually the first time I. Uh, ever had a chance to really talk to him uh, what did you think about last week's podcast oh i was overjoyed man i i for me for me burton is um one of my chikindo heroes he's always been an incredibly nice man to me we we've had a uh, an online relationship for years and when i say years i mean 15 20 years you know with just emails and things to that effect and it was great to be able to sit down and chat with him kind of face to face as we, as we would around the, my kitchen table here doing the podcast, so and I thought he gave I thought he gave a lot of information and he actually um, sent us a message. I, I don't know if you saw it, saying um, he'd love to do it again actually, and because he well, feels he feels he has a, a bunch of stories, a bunch more stories to tell, and he wanted to know if we can come back on in maybe a few months, maybe we can do something like next season. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great if you can stand doing another podcast without cursing. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. You're acting like I fucking curse all the time. Right? <laughs> yes, I think that would be awesome. Occasionally, once or twice. By the way, speaking about podcasts and cursing, for the first time, I actually listened to uh, the UFC podcast. Uh, with, is, that, is that the one with uh, Matt Sarah? Matt Sarah and Jim Norton? Yes. How was okay. that? I thought it was great. And it actually, first of all, made me realize that, you know, us Brooklyn-sounding guys, we're the shit when it comes to podcasts. Because <laughs> Matt Sarah is a fucking, I should say, I'm a carbon copy of him, except I'm like four times his size. But he's like four times my skill level. But we sound exactly alike. He curses up a storm. He's obviously got a Brooklyn or a New York accent. It was actually, I thought the podcast was really good. And uh, I was like, wow, this is you know, it's something I'm definitely going to be listening to on a regular rotation now. It's, yeah, Matt, uh, Matt is really great. Uh, he's been doing those shows with uh, Dana White. I think it's called Looking for a Fight, which is on uh, Fight Pass. 
those are really fun. Actually, I really like listening to Matt Serra. Uh, he's a funny guy. Obviously, when he talks about uh, fighting and martial arts, he's got a lot of experience. I actually met Matt Serra about two or three years ago at some MMA expo. I was wearing a Bruce Lee shirt that had UFC. It was like a UFC Bruce Lee promotional shirt or whatever. Right, right, right. And, hey, man, that's a great shirt. And he pulled me over and he took a photo with me and he was super cool. And he's like, hey, if you're ever in Long Island, come to my gym. And really, really nice guy. And um, That's cool. Yeah, I thought he was, just, he was just really great. It's always cool when you actually meet those guys and, and, and they're really cool. And, and, you know, they're not like you don't have those disappointing stories about, oh, you met this guy and he was a dick or whatever. Like, you know, the, the, he was Matt Serra was really super nice. Yeah, no, that's uh, that. He just sounds like a really good guy. Yeah, I need to listen to that podcast. It looks really interesting. It's just uh, I'm listening to like four other podcasts right now, and I don't have any more time between everything else that I'm doing. I disabled Facebook and Facebook pages and a bunch of other stuff from my phone just because I, I simply don't have the time to look at that stuff anymore. I need I got too much work to do, man. Oh, you're the busiest guy I know in Wing Chun, dude. <laughs> That's not saying much. Like I always say, most most Wing Chun guys are sitting on their ass uh, commenting on YouTube. So to be the busiest guy in Wing Chun doesn't necessarily mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a whole bunch to talk about this week. And when I say a whole bunch, I mean a whole bunch. Um, where should we start? I think uh, we have a couple of questions here. Uh, I think I think there was some question about um, lineage and interpretation. And- sure, sure, sure. Okay, yeah. Uh, Shad, Shad Scott. Who um, he sent questions into us in the in the past, and we've answered them. I'm friends with him on Facebook. He's a good guy. He um, he asked us, "Where do you draw the line between personal expression and preservation preservation of one's lineage?" I think it's a great question. Um, sure. I like to take a quick stab at it, and then we'll get the right answer from you. Um, <laughs> no pressure, tough guy. <laughs> I, I, I kind of live on both sides of the fence with this. Um, when it comes to Jikundo, I'm more inclined to say the personal expression because of the, uh, the nature of the art. But with that said, the preservation of my lineage, at least the way that I learned it from Steve Golden, is that it, it's this series of... Um, Concepts. This idea of controlling distance, timing, rhythm, uh, embraced by the five ways of attack. How you really do that, as long as you're going about it in the most simple, efficient way, Steve really doesn't care. So to preserve my lineage is to preserve that idea of distance, timing, rhythm, five ways of attack. And it doesn't matter how... What will how we're expressing yourself, as long as it's also simple, simple and with efficient movement. People look at um, this idea of preserving a lineage as preserving the physical tools, and I think that the physical tools are the least important part of, of a lineage. I think the most important part is the um, the, the inner game, the core, the, uh, the what's passed down from seafood to student. You know, when they're alone, sitting down, you know, having tea. Um, now, with that, when it comes to my Wing Chun lineage, I I don't deviate at all from the way I was taught the forms. Um, I learned the the Moyat lineage forms. I will never change 
anything about my forms because to me, and this is just solely for me, I find that beautiful, this idea of trying to pass down the form exactly how I learned it. Not exactly how it was taught to me because you can only, you know, do things the way you learned it. And I find it as a, um, a passion of mine to pass down the, the forms and drills exactly how I learned it. Now, with that said, if I come up with an idea, if I see a drill that I like, I will say, hey, I'm doing this drill. You know, I didn't learn this from my teacher. I kind of came up with this on my own, or I saw Alex do it in one of his videos, or I saw something... And I'll, and I'll do that, and I'll, but I'll say it. But when it comes to the forms, I'll never see somebody else's form and say, oh, I like the way that lineage does chum better than the way my lineage does it. Or I, don't, I like the way they did this one section of the form different than the way my lineage will do that one section form and change it. I will preserve my lineage, the physical tools of my lineage when it comes to Wing Chun. With Jeet Kune Do, I look at it more as the preserving the... Um, the principles and the concepts as much more important. That's that's my take on it. Well, that's a great take. You're kind of in a position where you can have your cake and eat it too because you... Oh, you had to bring up cake. I'm on a fucking diet. <laughs> I'm here sucking down Tic Tacs and he's bringing up cake. <laughs> because, yeah, basically, I mean, look, you, you, you practice two martial arts. One in which, you know, Jeet Kune Do, which the tradition of Jeet Kune Do, if you can even call it that, is kind of a tradition of non-tradition, a tradition of expressing yourself, so on and so forth. Um, you can argue what the core tenets of Jeet Kune Do are and whether that constitutes as being traditional or not. Um, but essentially, you have on one side of the chance to express yourself a little bit more freely. And then you, on the Wing Chun side, you have the more conservative, traditional Chinese martial art, which you can preserve for the sake of posterity and so on and so forth. Um, for me, which I essentially teach Wing Chun Kung Fu, which is a traditional martial art, for lack of a better term, um, I have to kind of toe the line a little bit. Now, I think the question's a good question, but it's something you, you can't really answer because the tradition of different systems uh, within Wing Chun, outside of Wing Chun or whatever, um, it depends very much on the particular style and it also depends on the person teaching it. Um, there are some strains of Wing Chun that emphasize practicality a lot more than other styles. Uh, for some lineages of, of Wing Chun, it's about doing the forms exactly the same way, doing the drills exactly the same way, um, not deviating from that at all, which I believe is definitely probably one of the core values in the Moyat uh, lineage of Wing Chun. It definitely seems to be, if, if you if you look at, if you rate Wing Chun lineages kind of on a, uh, on a scale or whatever, you have more conservative end and then you have kind of a more progressive or non-traditional or whatever you want to call it and definitely I would probably rate Moyat Wing Chun on, on the more conservative end of things um, but then you have other systems that are um, a little bit more freer in their interpretation in that it's well the forms are probably should be taught the same way as the C4 or whatever but how you express them in combat depends on your understanding of the concepts it also depends on your temperaments um, like uh, bodies, body type, all that kind of things. Like, for example, in WT, there's some guys who are really big and really strong, and their expression of Wing Chun is to step right down the middle and cut everybody down with chain punches. And if you look online at a lot of WT Wing Chun, you see that. You know, some big muscly guy stands there and cuts everybody down with chain punches, and 
and that works for him for you know 98% of whatever somebody's going to throw at him but then you look at me I'm like 5 foot 7 strong dude or whatever I can't stand in front of somebody who's bigger and stronger than me and just mow them down with chain punches by stepping in a straight line and that's not how I learned it from my teacher from Sifu Leung Ting or many of my other Chinese instructors because uh, I'm a small guy most of my teachers were small guys and we're forced to kind of do it a different way but within the same lineage somebody who's bigger somebody who's stronger they could step straight in so is one right or is one wrong? If we're both following the principles of Wing Chun, there's naturally gonna be differences in expression. So I think if the instructor teaches the principles and allows the student to adjust those things based on their temperament and their body type, I still consider that quite traditional, even if the techniques might look a little bit different. And that's my take on it. Yeah, and you know, it's, 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 it's spot on. I think, you know, it, there's something to be said about being happy. And you should do what be, you should do what makes you happy, and be honest about it. So if you learn a system, and you feel the need to change it, change it and rename it. You know, like that's that's how it, that's what I feel. Of. If if I learn the Moyat system, and I say, you know what, I want to change some of the things in the form, I want to change the way I ex- express myself, I want to change the way I'm, I do things in Wing Chun. I think that's awesome. I think that's exactly what you should do. But don't no longer call it Muay Out Wing Chun. No longer you can't if you're gonna use the name, you have to honor the name. Right. You know, there's no reason to use the name. I read on I read on um, Facebook and I don't want to get into the the reason it was posted, but you know, someone someone I know I know and respect in Wing Chun said something to the effect of like, um Man didn't call his system his, his teacher's name Wing Chun. Exactly, he just exactly. he just called it Wing Chun, and 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 why? Because he because he tweaked it, he changed it, he modernized it, he made it better, he made it worse. Whatever your opinion is, it was his, and it was Wing Chun. It was it was Yip Man Wing Chun. It was his Wing Chun. Right. And if you're gonna teach, if you're gonna say I teach Yip Man Wing Chun, well then you got to do it the way he did it. If you're gonna say I teach Wing Chun. Well then, as long as you're sticking to the principles of Wing Chun, go for it. Then and just teach your personal expression. Sure. It, it, I, think, I think that's always the problem too. Uh, is the labels? You know what I mean? Like, um, whenever you, if you look at the articles of um, the interviews with Grandmaster Yip Man from New Martial Hero, which there there are two of them, he he only called what he did Wing Chun. Um, he didn't. He himself didn't even call it Yip Man Wing Chun, and he didn't call it Leung Chan Wing Chun from his Sigong or Chan Ma Sun Wing Chun from his Sifu or whatever. Um, because I think, to a certain degree, the Chinese understand that the art is called Wing Chun. Uh, adding any different names to it in, in, in Chinese kind of makes it a little bit less, um, uh, I suppose, humble because you're kind of saying, "Well, this is my Wing Chun" or whatever. Hmm. However. I do think it's okay when people have kind of codified their own methods enough that they're kind of different maybe from what their teacher did or they're maybe very specific. And then you say, okay, this is now Wong Shen Leung Wing Chun or Leung Ting Wing Chun or whatever. But I'm also kind of of the opinion that the only person who does Leung Ting Wing Chun is Leung Ting. And the only person who did Wong Shen Leung Wing Chun was Wong Shen Leung. So everyone has, people have learned Wong Shen Leung Wing Chun. People have learned Leung Ting Wing Chun, but essentially they do their own. 
no matter mm. how much they try to copy their teacher. And the fights that people get into uh, on the polit- political end of things are usually because of labels. And now you have a whole slew of Wing Chun people who claim to teach Yip Man Wing Chun. And you have people who say they teach Yip Man Wing Chun who weren't even direct students of Yip Man. And right. I find that an extremely ballsy claim. Right, absolutely. Uh, to claim that you teach the Wing Chun of somebody that you have not even personally learned from. You know, if you claim to teach your Sifu's Wing Chun and you use their name, you can get away with that. When you, when you claim to teach the Wing Chun of somebody you never met, I tend to go... How sure are you? <laughs> and why is it so important? You, you know, like, um, I'm not going to mention any names, but let's say there are some people who may have learned from Grandmaster Yip Man, or maybe they didn't learn from Grandmaster Yip Man, or whatever the story is. But when they speak Chinese and they explain Wing Chun, they always say, Yip Man told me. When Yip Man taught me this, in Wing Chun, Yip Man says, it's like they cannot give a correction or a note in Wing Chun without prefacing it with when Yip Man taught me, hmm. when Yip Man said. And when you hear this, especially outside of a martial arts context, if somebody were to do this in any other endeavor, all right, if they were talking about history or they were talking about science and they constantly had to name drop, it's usually a sign of a very weak argument. If I, like, for example, I learned from Sifu Lengting for nine years, and I learned in Germany for three years or whatever. When I teach my Wing Chun to my students, I don't say, when Lengting does the Tan Tao, he does this. Because to a certain degree, it's almost like I don't have confidence in my knowledge of Tan Tao if I constantly have to qualify it with who taught it to me. You know what I mean? It's like I learned it, I, underst- I have an understanding of it, and that understanding can stand on its own. So I'm always a little bit cautious when people always have to invoke the holy higher names whenever they give a correction, because it seems like they're trying to strengthen what might be a weak argument. And it's something that if you listen to, you hear it and it's very subtle. And I would just, you know, maybe ask people next time they they listen to a video of somebody who's saying they teach so-and-so swing chun or whatever, um, listen to how many times they need to invoke that person's name while they're explaining and ask yourself whether they need this because their argument is strong or because their argument is weak. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, There's a great discussion. um, There's a great YouTube video by one of my CBOX named uh, Pete Bahil, Moi Moi Benoit. And I, I you look, if you search for no, it on... it's Mo, Mo, Moi Bahiu or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Moi Bahiu. I know him as Pete Bahiu. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you do a YouTube search on Moi um, Wing Chun Martial Intelligence, he does a discussion, and he talks about the difference between saying you do Moi Wing Chun and Moi Wing Chun. That we don't say we do Moyat's Wing Chun, because the only person who do Moyat's Wing Chun was Moyat. We do Moyat Wing Chun in talking about the Kung Fu life and in the way he taught and in the honoring the way he did his system. But we can't say we do Moyat's Wing Chun. The only person who does Moyat's Wing Chun was Moyat. So I, I, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good hour-long discussion on YouTube, and I, I, I strongly um, suggest everybody, when you when you have an hour, you want to give a good listen to it. It's 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 done. It's very well done. Done very well. Cool. 
All right, we have a, another question here from a guy named Jimmy Flood, who, by the way, Jimmy, if you're the guy I went to grammar school with, because I went to school with a guy named James Flood, I want, that would be awesome. <laughs> um, I just, I just, I'm just realizing it now. One of my friends in, like, PS203 was named Jimmy Flood. Doesn't seem like a very common name either, so it, I mean, might, it might, might be something there. How awesome would it be if it's a kid I used to hang out with in, like, the fifth grade? Uh, he wrote a question for Sean. I once saw you make a post in a JKD forum saying that there's a difference between broken rhythm and inserted hits. It was a discussion on stop hits and counter time striking in Jeet Kune Do. I didn't understand much of what you wrote, but know enough about it to understand that it's important. Can you talk about it a little on the podcast? Sure. And I can hear my students right now screaming, No! Don't talk about it! Because... A lot of people consider this like some of the good stuff when it comes to uh, JKD. Um, yes, there is a difference between broken rhythm and inserted hits, and I can tell you I want to I want to qualify it a little bit as it's it is tough to talk about without having a, a visual aspect to the to the teaching, but I, I'll do the best I can. When you talk about Broken Rhythm, which, by the way, is, in my opinion, the heart and soul of, of, of really good Jeet Kune Do. It's all about Broken Rhythm. There's a, a lot of people are confused between inserted hits and Broken Rhythm in Jeet Kune Do. And so how it's taught is this way. When you think of um, inserted hits, think of it this way. So you have like one and two and three. One and two and three, right? So you have like jab and cross and hook, and that's the beats. One and two and three, jab and cross and hook, and now they're going to do an inserted hit. So it's where it would be one and two and three, you'll have one and two and three and four. So it's one and two and three, four. So it would be a jab and cross and I'm sorry, jab and cross, jab, hook. Jab and cross, jab, hook. That's an inserted jab in an established rhythm. That's an inserted hit. You have one and two and three, and hitting on the ends would be an inserted hit. So where you would have jab and cross and hook, you have jab and cross, jab, hook. You have that little inserted hit, that extra jab, or it could be with an extra kick or something to that effect. That's an inserted hit, and that's often spoke about as if it's broken rhythm. Why? I don't know, but it's not, or at least it's not in the way I learned it. I learned broken rhythm as in the best way to, to, to differentiate between the two, and there's much more to it than this, but this is a good jumping off point. A broken, an inserted hit is adding a beat into an established rhythm. Broken rhythm is adding an extra rest into an established rhythm. It's adding a stop. It's moving yourself and then stopping suddenly or or changing of tempo to create a reaction. So, and broken rhythm is universal in any athletic endeavor. It's not, it's not um, 
The Jikendo doesn't own it. Martial arts doesn't own it. No athletic endeavor owns it, and you'll find it almost in all of them. I think on the podcast I've mentioned two examples of um, Broken Rhythm at their finest, and I think it's the best way for um, people to understand it outside of a mar- the realm of martial arts. When you look at Broken Rhythm, I want you to picture the best basketball player you know, whether it's Michael Jordan or LeBron James or whoever your favorite basketball player is. And he's got the ball, and he's coming down the lane, and he enters the paint, and he he gets he takes the ball, and he kind of bends his knees, settles his weight, starts moving his body up to make a jump shot. All the defenders leave their feet to jump up to block the shot, and he stops. He doesn't follow through. And why does he stop? He, he stops for one reason, because now the defenders have jumped up. And he stops. And he starts again when they're on their way down. In that fraction of a second, that little beat that he took, that little space that he inserted into his movements, now has the defenders coming down while he's going up. And what can they not do, the defenders? They can't change directions that quickly. They're, they're off, their feet are off the ground. They can't do anything. Their weight's been shifted. They can't do anything. And now he takes the throw, and he, and he scores an undefended shot. If we look at um, football, uh, to make my friend and student Seth smile, let's talk about Tom Brady, the best damn quarterback ever. To Tom Brady, broken rhythm is not a secret. A pump fake of a football by a quarterback is not a football secret. They teach it in high school football, how to pump fake the ball. The quarterback kind of makes starts to make the motion like he's going to throw the ball. Why? Because it freezes the linebackers. The second he starts to make the, the motion to throw the ball, the linebackers either freeze or jump to block to block the pass. Right. And it's on their relaxation from the freeze or on their way down from the jump that the now quarterback can now turn to a different direction or just feather a pass right over the now falling linebacker. Right. Tom Brady does that every game, and it's not a secret. So why does it work? It works because his attributes and he are of are of the highest level, and he can read the field, and he can control. He can break his own rhythm, and in breaking his own rhythm, he can break the stride of the people that are following him. Now, this is found in every sport. If you take hockey, you know what a deke is in hockey is when the the, the, the player going before the goal kind of like shifts the weight on his skates to, to one side and, and puts the puck on the other side of his stick and puts it in. It's, you know, it's first level hockey. Everybody that's ever played a game of hockey knows what a deke is. And if you've ever watched an NHL game, you've seen it 50 times a game. It's not a secret. Right. But it works. And now in martial arts, if you're going to talk about broken rhythm, you have to talk, you have to understand that. So if I'm fighting you and we're sparring, and I'm established a rhythm in my movements, 
And I come forward, and remember, I, I think last week or two weeks ago, I spoke about, two weeks ago, I spoke about um, how footwork, how we establish the distance, timing, and rhythm through the use of footwork. Well, rhythm, broken rhythm, is, is, is really, really, really um, based on, a lot of it is based on footwork and and um, if you, at least that's a great, again, starting off point. And if you establish a rhythm, a tempo, and you're coming in at a certain tempo and back and forth, or you know, you're, you're, you're coming in with a heavy tempo in your movements and then kind of stop real quick, you, your opponent will react to this stop. And it's because you're controlling the timing of the, of the reaction you already know when the reaction is going to be. Now, I, I know this may sound a little esoteric, but you have to try it out. Get a, get a sparring partner. Get a friend of yours. And move around a little bit. Come in hard and then just stop. And then when they're dealing with your stop, because it's going to frighten them, because they don't know what's going on. No one stops. That's when you now change the angle and change your line of attack. And they won't know what to do with you. That's broken rhythm, and that's on just a completely different level than inserted hits. Inserted hits is just hitting on the end, hitting on the half beat. Broken rhythm, you will use half beats, but the half beats are to change direction. The half beats are to uh, change momentum, to change intensity, to um, to change the rhythm. But it's it's all about the stops, the quick start and stops, the, 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 the level intensity going up and down. Now, in regards to where this falls into with stop hits and counter time, what's a stop hit? A stop hit is hitting an opponent on their preparation or as they step forward, right? So me and you are moving around a little bit. The second you start stepping forward to me, I kind of change the angle, bang, and shoot out a straight lead. That's a stop hit. It's, if, if you've already extended your punch and me hitting you, that's not a stop hit. A stop hit's hitting you on your preparation, right? A counter time is the drawing of a stop hit. So now, when I talk about Jeet Kune Do and it's on, like, it's on a university level, college level Jeet Kune Do, this is what I'm talking about. When, when people come and train with me, this is, what we, this is what we deal with, as opposed to like... Worrying about, oh, you know, we learned this, you know, step and slide, slide, step, quick advance. Yeah, that's Jeet Kune Do footwork. That's Jeet Kune Do footwork on a basic level. When you talk about real Jeet Kune Do footwork and you have to be proactive as opposed to reactive, another phrase I used on the, on the, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I'm talking about drawing counter time and stop hits and, and breaking rhythm to make, make the opponent uncomfortable. And all of this happens in an instant. It's not like it's a, some drawn-out battle going back and forth. Um, I mean, I'm not even I'm not going to say I'm good at it, and I can make people that are athletic, you know, uncomfortable with broken rhythm. And, and again, broken rhythm is, is not something just in the realm of uh, Jeet Kune Do as it was originally taught by Bruce Lee. And when people talk about that, it's just sheer nonsense. If, it, if, you, can, if you can find it and use it in football, basketball, and hockey, you sure as hell can use it when you pick up a stick or a knife or a bat or anything else you want to talk about. It's, it's, it's a universal concept in, in, in athletics and it's a universal concept, especially in martial arts. So, uh, broken rhythm, uh, there's a... There's a there's a man named Pete Jacobs who um, was friends with Steve Golden. I never met Pete Jacobs, but I remember um, he was a student in the L.A. Chinatown School. And I remember um, 
Steve Golden told me a quick story that he was talking to Pete about somebody that he had just met with and trained and said, oh, I learned this, I learned that. And, and Pete said, oh, does it work against broken rhythm? And Steve laughed and said, well, no, nothing works against broken rhythm. That's, <laughs> that's how important broken rhythm is to what we do. So when you hear me on this podcast talk about distance, timing, and rhythm, this is what I'm talking about. This idea of understanding the, the ebb and flow, the intensity and the relaxing of energies to make an opponent uncomfortable. And it's through your start and stop movements as opposed to just inserting a hit within a time beat. You know, there, there's a cadence to a there's a cadence to two men moving in a combative or any kind of sports endeavor. There's a cadence. It's not always easy to see, but with training, you learn to see what the cadence is. And when you understand the cadence, then you can understand the manipulation of the cadence. And the manipulation of the cadence is is, is the is is what I'm talking about with broken rhythm. This idea of a quick stop a change of a line, and hitting into now an opening line. This is also where you're going to start finding the five ways of attack and the other idea of distance, timing, rhythm, where distance plays in and where timing plays in. And it's all one big Rubik's Cube of knowledge. The, and this, that, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about high-level Jigendo. So I'm so happy that James or Jimmy Flood wrote this question in because I... To me, it's it is of supreme importance in Jeet Kune Do, and um, and this is what I work on with guys that come train with me. You know, I have uh, more private students than I do public. So right now, I'm not taking, haven't taken any new public students. I'm just taking private students, and this is what guys that come and train with me do. Um, I'm, this is not an advertisement for me. I'm just trying to explain what I do. It's um, it's spending time on breaking rhythm. And it's not learning a new way of throwing a jab. To me, that's just the least important thing in the world. You know what I mean? Learning yet another footwork pattern, the least important thing in the world. I couldn't care less. It's how can you manipulate people with broken rhythm? That's high-level crap. And and uh, and as as they say, you know, Forrest Gump said, "That's all I got to say about that." That's all I say about that. <laughs> Anyway, great question, Jimmy. I really appreciate you writing that in. That, that's that was that was fun. I got to talk. I got to talk about what I love. That was good. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. So uh, yeah, well, man, I, I feel like I'm uh, I'm coming out of a Jeet Kindo coma right now. <laughs> uh, sorry, I didn't mean to talk so long about it. I... No, I'm just saying, no, 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 I'm just saying. Like you, you, you talked about a lot of things that. Uh, uh, you know, are, are kind of heavy. A lot of things that require a lot of thought, whatever. So I, I just feel uh, like, whoa! I, I need to like now just go and think about what you said for the next six hours. <laughs> like, so it's like, oh wait, well, wait, I have to talk now. Sorry. Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what? let's just talk about hot chicks then. Oh, that, yeah. That always works. It's always an easy way to kind of uh, cl- cleanse the palate from any kind of conversation and back to the real world. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, well, last week, I mean, for the few people that I have on my uh, personal Facebook page, these days I don't really post a lot on Facebook, and I, I have a public Facebook page that is uh, 
well managed by um, the amazing Krista Elena. She does a really great job posting as me online and answering <laughs> questions as me. She'll even post in the comments. It's really great. I love it. Uh, she does a really great job. I just I'm too busy now with all the book projects and this big project I'm working on in Hong Kong. I, I just I don't have the time for social media anymore. But uh, last week, somebody posted something on Facebook that just kind of like it, it, it's. It, it, for me to actually respond to anything political or anything kind of within the Wing Chun political sphere, uh, first of all, because I've been doing this for so long that it's like I've heard everything, I've had all the same tired arguments, and like I'm kind of over it. Like now I'm at the point where like I'm having more fun doing Wing Chun. I don't need to talk about Wing Chun or try to convince other people about whatever. Um, but there's a a senior student of Grandmaster Yip Man who's on Facebook. And I'm not going to mention what his name is. But he's, he's kind of like a very well-respected early period student of Yip Man. So it's actually very rare that uh, we have somebody like that who would be on Facebook because normally most guys in his generation, they, they have not kind of taken to Facebook yet. But he's on Facebook. He, he does suffer from some of the issues that most older people start using Facebook, namely that he doesn't really know how Facebook works. He will, he will post stuff on his wall without tagging people, like having people <laughs> not tag anybody so people don't really know. And, and like, you know, he'll just kind of go off. And, and rather than using the platform of Facebook to tell some great stories about Git Man or, or, or in, in, inform the public about, you know, things that are kind of relevant and interesting and people want to know about Grandmaster Git Man and what it was like to learn from him, he basically uses Facebook as a forum for him to kind of just bash what he doesn't like, which is namely everything that's not him. Uh, and, and, and you know what? It's kind of funny because it's like, wow, I remember all these things. These, this is like kind of what happened in the 70s and 80s. And the rest of the Wing Chun world kind of got over it and kind of moved on. And he's kind of like dragging us back, kicking and screaming into the 70s again. It's like, you know, we kind of went over this stuff already and it didn't end up too well. People showed up to people's schools, got challenged, people fought, and you know, it was a very ugly time period in Wing Chun. And we're kind of over it right now. Nobody gives a crap about Wing Chun. Everyone wants to do MMA anyway. So, uh, you know, to kind of have somebody using Facebook as a platform to kind of open up old wounds, as one would say, uh, is, is kind of strange. But um, I, I took personal, I'm gonna say it took personal offense because uh, I don't really take uh, uh, offense to anything. I, I belong to a, my religion is the church of not giving an F. And uh, <laughs> it takes a really, uh, it takes a lot for me to actually give a crap because, you know, I, I, I like to read contrarian opinions. Um, uh, most people, they only like to read and follow stuff that follows their way of thinking. I'm somebody who um, I like to read what the counter argument is to everything that I do. I like to read the counter argument to what I do in uh, what I believe in politics, what I believe in philosophy, what I believe in martial arts. Um, because if you don't know your enemy's position or you don't know the opposite position, I don't think you understand your position very well. So, um, but most people are not like me. Most people only like to hear things that agree with them and, and that's the thing that makes them happy. So um, basically this senior student of Grandmaster Yip Man uh, attacked my teacher, Leung Ting, um, which is um, nothing new to, nothing new to. I mean, Leung Ting is a controversial guy. And if you follow Leung Ting as a, a student, uh, you are constantly going to have to deal with people saying all sorts of horrific things about him and deal with that. So 
when everyone talks about respect in martial arts, they normally mean, yeah, you have to respect my teacher, but I can be openly disrespectful about anybody else because it's not my teacher. And they don't understand that if, if you really understand which means martial virtue, you need to be respectful. And we can have conversations about political things. We can have conversations about controversial things in Wing Chun without making them personal attacks. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. If somebody has an issue with Leung Teng or Moi Yat or Wong Shilung or whatever, if they have a legit perspective or a legit opinion, we can discuss it without getting upset. But everybody has such kind of like a quasi-religious view of their teacher or whatever that the moment anybody says anything somewhat less than positive about someone's teacher, everyone immediately goes up in arms and nobody can have a conversation. People can come up to me and say whatever they want about Leung Teng or whatever they want to say about uh, doubts people have about his credentials or things that happened in the 70s or whatever. And I would never get the least bit upset about that because, first of all, I've heard it all already and I have a pretty lucid and open opinion about my former teacher and I don't have uh, to, to take sides or be political or whatever. But when somebody openly spouts misinformation from a historical perspective, um, then I tend to get a little bit cross because if we can research it, if we have actual evidence of what really happened and somebody just wants to say something else happened that we can clearly show didn't happen, then I tend to go, you know what, now you're just misinforming people and people will listen to the senior student of Vietnam mainly because he was a senior student of Vietnam. So any opinion, anything he says, he's going to get carte blanche for people to believe him just because of his credentials. But he actually said something that was... Um, it was a gross misrepresentation of, an, of something that happened in the 70s. So I'm just gonna take five minutes to explain something that I could probably spend hours on. So it's to not bore the audience too much, all right? So for those people who are in the Wing Chun world for any period of time, uh, whether you're a fan of Leung Ting or you're not a fan of Leung Ting, you've undoubtedly heard some detractors of Leung Ting say, Leung Ting claimed himself to be the head of the whole Wing Chun style. And they will normally reference a press conference that was that happened in the 70s with a number of Vietnam senior students, including Wong Sung Leung and Leung Sung and, and Yip Chun and a bunch of people who uh, uh, were senior students of Vietnam. A number of people are no longer uh, no longer around anymore. And they had this press conference to denounce the evil Leung Ting, claiming that he was the head of the whole Wing Chun family. And this is a narrative that just gets spouted, and many of Vietnam students. They pass it on as gospel truth, and they just say, see, Leung Cheng's such a bad guy, he claimed he was the head of the whole Wing Chun family. And anybody who was around at the time knows that that actually wasn't the case, uh, and that Leung Cheng is was being unfairly attacked by a number of people. And this is a matter of open record. This is an opinion, and I'm not saying this because I was Leung Cheng's student or whatever. If Leung Cheng was in the wrong on this point, I would say he was in the wrong. I'm that open to disagree with my teacher as well. But I have to say, while he may not be the nicest guy, he's being unfairly attacked on this point. In the, um, in the 1970s, Leung Ting had a TV show called Real Kung Fu, which I wish you could actually get copies of nowadays, because get this, Sean. In the 70s, Leung Ting had a TV show, which I think it was weekly. Every week, he would have different Kung Fu masters, legit Kung Fu masters, come in and demonstrate their styles and talk about how their styles worked in fighting and what was special about their styles. And it was like every week you got a history lesson on, on actual legit Kung Fu styles from masters of those styles. And sometimes Leung Ting would demonstrate Wing Chun and sometimes he'd have a guy showing Charlie Futt and sometimes, but it was all legit Kung Fu and the TV show was called Real Kung Fu. 
and it was produced by Leung Ting. It was written by Leung Ting, and every week they had all these guest instructors. And unfortunately, the TV station that showed it in Hong Kong, RTV, doesn't exist anymore. And they never kept copies of that stuff anyway. Hong Kong TV stations, even TVB, have a really weird habit of uh, destroying that stuff about six months after they were aired because they never expected to show it again. You know, Sean, you know those interviews with Bruce Lee when he was in Hong Kong in the 70s, like where he's breaking all the boards and stuff like that? Sure. There are a couple eight millimeter clips that you can see of that online. Do you know what those clips actually are? Those are people who filmed those off the TV screen with an eight millimeter camera. Wow. You can actually not get copies of those interviews anymore because after Bruce Lee did the interviews for like a TVB and uh, he was like on a number of uh, uh, famous TV shows with lots of like famous hosts who interviewed him. He did like three or four TV uh, interviews. He did a telethon when there was like a horrible uh, typhoon in Hong Kong where he helped to raise money for that stuff was destroyed by those TV stations probably six months after they aired. Wow. You know why? Because they had no idea Bruce Lee was going to be the icon he was going to be, and they were never going to show it again, so they just destroyed it to make space for other stuff. Right. That's how non-sentimental the Hong Kong Chinese are about these things, uh, which is very strange. For such a traditional culture, they don't give a crap about some TV show that's six months old because, well, who cares, right? <laughs> um, and so the, all these TV series that uh, Langton did, the real Kung Fu TV series, they don't exist anymore. Oh, man, how I wish they did, because uh, his real Kung Fu magazine from the 70s, you can still get copies of that. They were amazing. In-depth articles. They were, like, incredible. So anyway, Leung Ting has this new TV show called Real Kung Fu. And it's all over the newspapers that this TV show is coming out, and, and he's trying to get some press. And there was one a newspaper in Hong Kong. They were, like, a regular newspaper. I think it was called the Sun um, which is like the new light daily news or whatever. They print it as the headline. Uh, Leung Ting has a new TV show, Real Kung Fu. And they said Leung Ting is the head of the whole Wing Chun style. They gave him that title. But this title was actually just something like the newspaper article, like the reporter had no idea that Leung Ting didn't claim himself to be the head. He just thought, oh, Leung Ting's a Wing Chun guy. He must be the main guy. And he put that in the title of the newspaper. So you can imagine Leung Ting's shock when he wakes up that day and it says, real Kung Fu, real Kung Fu, the head of the Wing Chun style Leung Ting has a new TV show on RTV. And he was like, what? He got totally <laughs> upset because this was essentially the mistake of the reporter. Right. And the reason why we know this is not Leung Ting's claim is, well, a couple things. First of all, there was another news, there were a number of other newspapers in Hong Kong that also reported the new TV show, and they did not say Leung Ting was the head of the whole Wing Chun style. It was only the one newspaper uh, that reported that. So basically, it was just some reporter that didn't know what he was talking about, and he just put that in the subtitle of the uh, article. The other newspapers that mentioned Leung Ting made no mention of Leung Ting saying he was the head of the whole Wing Chun style. So anyway, the Wing Chun seniors of Leung Ting took this as an opportunity to attack him and say that, oh, look, he claimed to be the head of the whole Wing Chun style. And Leung Ting said, no, 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 no. He had his own press conference, which he said, hey, I am not the head of the Wing Chun style. I'm only a member. And he said, had this press conference with a bunch of high-ranking Kung Fu masters from all over Hong Kong who were there to support Leung Ting and say, hey, Leung Ting would never say that. Leung Ting has never said that personally to anybody. This is obviously a mistake of the newspaper. 
the newspaper the next day printed a retraction saying they were sorry it was a mistake, Leung Ting did not call himself the head of the Wing Chun style or whatever. But of course, the damage was already done. All of the all of his seniors in the Wing Chun school, oh, see, Yip Man, uh, Leung Ting said he was Yip Man's number one student, blah, 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 blah. And he never said that. The newspaper printed a retraction. Leung Ting had a press conference in which he said that was not the case. But that doesn't stop them from 40 years later telling people, Leung Ting claimed he was the head of the whole Wing Chun style. And this was just a mistaken newspaper headline from one newspaper that retracted it. And here's the thing. The newspapers felt so bad about it because they saw how Leung Ting seniors used it to attack him that Sandang Yatpo newspaper printed a second apology the day after saying, we're really, really sorry. We had absolutely no idea it would cause this much trouble. But again, like I said, the damage was done. And 40 years later, many of Leung Ting seniors still tell people, oh, Leung Ting claimed he was the head of the whole Wing Chun style. And the funny thing was, there was a competing magazine to Leung Ting's uh, Real Kung Fu magazine that used this to attack Leung Ting uh, very viciously. In fact, if you go online, you will find that there's an old magazine article that has this press conference of all of Leung Ting seniors denouncing Leung Ting and calling him an apostate and all this kind of shit. <laughs> that magazine was a competing magazine to Leung Ting's Real Kung Fu magazine. And they knew that the newspaper printed a retraction, that the newspaper apologized, and that Leung Ting went on record saying that he was not the head of the Wing Chun family. They printed this whole article saying it as if Leung Ting claimed it and as if Leung Ting still believed in it. And to this day, Leung Ting still has to deal with the fallout of this one mistaken newspaper uh, article. And, and it's unfortunate because you can go to the Hong Kong Public Library online, their website, and you can actually look up these magazines, these newspapers. They're a matter of public record. And you can see that Leung Ting did, in fact, not claim this. But this student of Yip Man went on Facebook like two weeks ago and showed the press conference of the Wing Chun Athletic Association saying, see, look at all these people. They have to denounce Leung Ting's bad actions. And he failed to mention the fact that it's based on a faulty newspaper headline. The newspaper retracted two apologies based on this. And Leung Ting went on record the next day to say that it wasn't true. But he just skews it to say, see, look what Wong Sung had to say. Look what Leung Sung had to say, so on and so forth. Wong Sung actually, uh, and Leung Ting, they later made amends. And, and Wong Sung I can't even point to interviews that Wong Sung had where he said, no, 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 that was a misunderstanding. It wasn't a big deal. And Wong Sung actually had bigger issues with other members of the Wing Chun family. So it was just a matter of, you know what, this is shit is 40 years old. I think people need to let it go and people need to stop pushing the narrative that Leung Ting claimed he was the head of the Wing Chun style because he, in fact, never did it. Now, I have to say, I was a student of Leung Ting for nine years. Leung Ting is not the nicest guy in the world. Leung Ting has done stuff in his past which have not been super cool, in my opinion. And there are legitimate reasons if you want to attack Leung Ting or Leung Ting's character. There are other things you can attack him on. But claiming that he said he was the head of the Wing Chun style is not one of them. So, you know, we can address some of the other issues with Leung Ting on, on, on another podcast or whatever. But in this specific is, uh, issue where he constantly gets attacked on, this is actually nonsense. This is actually not true. And people need to stop pushing that as a narrative because I can show them. And my article on Facebook was a brutal response to this. I actually published 
the Chinese newspapers where they apologize for it and I explain the whole thing in brutal detail. So for the five people out there who are friends with me personally on Facebook, they can absolutely <laughs> read this thing out there. Um, but it's not that important. It's water under the bridge. It's just when people misrepresent facts that we can actually look up nowadays and find that they're not true. I will always say something, but Sean, if somebody posted bullshit about Moyat and said, Moyat said this, this, and this, and there was public record to the contrary, I would be the first one to send that stuff to you and say, hey, look at this. If somebody wanted to slander or libel uh, Wong Sun Leung and say uh, such and such happened, like people have attacked Wong Sun Leung because he lost when he had his big fight in Taiwan, so what? Wong Sun Leung had plenty of challenge fights. He did very well. He, he helped to raise the profile and image of Wing Chun. So he went to Taiwan one time and got knocked out. Who cares? You know what I mean? Anybody right. who fights regularly um, will also lose. And the fact that Wong Sun, you know, there are people out there who say that Wong Sun Leung had a, the nickname Stretcher Wong because they had to take him out on a stretcher or whatever. Hey, this oh, is God. bullshit. And this is so inflammatory. You know, and this and, and disrespectful, just re- and ridiculous, disrespectful. And it's like, you know what? Anybody who who's who has the balls to put themselves in front of right, somebody exactly else right. and fight also has the chance to lose no matter how good they are. Anderson Silva broke his damn leg doing a low kick. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and right. does that take away from from his incredible record as a fighter? And I mean, it's nonsense. You know, in Kung Fu, because Kung Fu is largely untested, we don't go out into, into the ring and fight. Anytime somebody might lose, it's like this super big deal because Kung Fu people have so lost that track with reality that if you fight on a regular basis, you very well might lose. Right, and sure. For people to attack Wong Sun Lung on that is extremely disingenuous. And for people to attack Lung Ting saying that he claimed he was Yip Man's number one student when he in fact never did that is disingenuous. So anytime that there are facts like this where we can refute them, I will be there and it's not just for Lung Ting, it's for anybody because I believe in preserving facts as as insofar as we can based on what little we actually do have so that's, that's a, kind of one thing i would just wanted to say about that you 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 are like uh without ever without ever you claiming this title the uh most preeminent um wing chun historian that i know no 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 of course everyone gives that title to another famous wing chun sifu and i would never claim to be the encyclopedia of wing chun and i would never claim to be any of those things because somebody else has already claimed that title for himself well, I'm I, just very happy to be called a Wing Chun geek. <laughs> that's that's all. This is my topic. This is what I love. I'm a Wing Chun geek. I'm not the best. I'm not the most knowledgeable. Maybe I'm the most knowledgeable you guys. That's, that's what I mean. You're, you're the most knowledgeable one that I know. Yeah, I'm not the most knowledgeable guy I know, thank God. <laughs> but, uh, well, but yeah, but I, I definitely appreciate the compliment. I know where it's coming from. A, f- a few things about that little rant. First, you know, first of all, I think people forget that when you're a... Uh, a known figure. Video and evidence exist these days. It's not like it was 50 years ago. Right. I mean, even looking in politics, I'm not going to name names, but in American politics, people you know, said things 10 years ago and now say the exact opposite. Hell, they say something last month and now say the exact opposite this month and say, oh, I never said that. And, you know, they just, it's on YouTube. You know what I mean? It's, right. Right. People just forget. But uh, two more important things that I want to bring up with that, you know, after your little discussion is one, can we get that reporter to write the article about me? Because I have no problem saying I'm the head of the Jikindo family. Because that would be awesome. <laughs> no problem. I know. You, you know what? And, and, and not to bash the Chinese, 
but Chinese newspapers always have a habit of sensationalizing these kind of things. I've been in the Hong Kong press. I've been in, in a couple big Hong Kong newspapers on three occasions, and they have messed stuff up. They've messed up my Chinese name. They've claimed that I said stuff that I never claimed. Um, even here in New York, some of the Chinese press, when Lerington came over, they made up stuff that he didn't even say because I was even here. Um, unfortunately, journalistic integrity is a problem here in the States. I'm not going to yeah. say it's just a Chinese problem, but journalistic integrity for Hong Kong newspapers, I'm going to say it's beyond problematic. It's like they straight up don't even care. They'll write whatever the hell they want. I even, I even, I was in the Apple Daily, which is kind of like the Hong Kong version of the New York Post, like a month and a half ago. And they totally misquoted me and they said that Leung Ting helped me arrange interviews for my documentary project or whatever, which I never even said that. Right, right, and right. I confronted the reporter and he was like, oh, sorry. You know, <laughs> sorry. Like, you know it's, it's, it's definitely a problem. But I well, can definitely get you a reporter to say whatever you want him to say about it. Listen, anybody that wants to say I'm the head of the Jeet Kune Do family, go for it, babe. I'm, I'll have cards printed up, T-shirts. That would be awesome. It's just but, head man. Head man, yeah. Head big man. JKD. But the, the most important fact after Alex's uh, rant there, is and I think this is the first time ever on the podcast. I've been keeping count. Alex doesn't know this. I if I was twice. I realized. Well, that. no, no, much more than twice. <laughs> much more than twice. And more importantly, you cursed on this podcast more than me. More than me. <laughs> okay. First of all, that's my shtick. All right, pal. Okay. You speak the speaking fucking Chinese. I speak Brooklyn. All right. <laughs> So don't be stepping on my toes by trying to curse and stuff. <laughs> well, hey, that's pretty funny. You know what? I, I did realize while I was doing that, I go, wow, I'm using some salty language. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very passionate about Wing Chun. I'm very passionate about teaching it, about training it, about studying it. But one of the things that really um, gets me upset is when people intentionally misrepresent facts sure. to push a narrative that they want. Like this senior student of Yip Man, he doesn't like Leung Ting. Okay, many students of Yip Man don't like Leung Ting. That's normal, I understand that. Leung Ting went on to be very successful, and whenever you're successful, people hate you by default, whether it's um, justified or not. But he wanted to push the narrative that Leung Ting is a bad guy. So then he just chose the press conference that uh, the senior students had against Leung Ting and failed to give any of the backstory. Right. And I just, when I see people being purposefully disingenuous, I actually get very angry because if, Sean, you put like hard work out there to get good information to your students about JKD, you've studied a lot, you've read a lot, you've practiced it. And if somebody tried to intentionally smear your credentials because they come from another JKD school or because they don't like you and they knowingly take something you say out of context or they take a story out of context or be like, yeah, he showed up to one so-and-so seminar and then now he claims he knows this or whatever. Right. I would take issue with that if someone's being purposefully disingenuous because that's something that gets me really upset, especially when we can verify it. And I don't care if somebody's a senior student of Grandmaster Yip Man. I respect them for who they are. But if they misrepresent facts... I will, as a lowly white guy or whatever generation and student to get, man, them because I have facts on my side. And if they can dispute me and show me that I'm wrong, and he can show me facts that are contrary to what I have, I will change my opinion. 
because I believe in facts first. Excellent. Which is why when they mis misuse facts and stories and context to lie, I will take issue with that. Every excellent, excellent. Oh, that's fantastic, dude. You know, you're, 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 as far as the guys I know, one of the most well-informed guys I know, and I wouldn't want to get into an argument with you. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm more aware of what I don't know, perhaps, than some other people. You know that pie chart, which is like, you have a round pie chart. Jesus, now he's talking about pie. I'm on a fucking diet. What fuck? Sorry, sorry, sorry. We'll say, we'll say a graph or something else. Okay, good. Thank you. And a 1% sliver says, shit you know. Right, yeah, right. Curse him again, right? And there's a 2% sliver that says, shit you don't know. Or no, shit you know you don't know. Right. All right? And then the remaining 97% is shit you don't know you don't know. Right. That's the good stuff. And most people are not aware of the limits of their uh, knowledge. Like, there's a very famous fallacy. Um, there are a number of, like, I love logical fallacies. I love discussing logic and, and, and thoughts and um, problems in the way people think. And one of them is the expert bias. And uh, there are certain biases we have as human beings where we systematically overestimate our knowledge. If somebody is really good at something or really knows something very, very well, they will tend to overestimate how much they actually know in that topic. Right. I'm brutally aware of what I don't know in Wing Chun. I'm brutally aware of the gaps in my knowledge. But the stuff that I do know is relatively thoroughly researched. And I'm also of the opinion, like I said, if somebody can actually show me that I'm wrong on facts or whatever, I'll change it. Right. I have no ego about that. But people normally are very biased because they need to push a certain uh, viewpoint. They need to push a certain narrative that falls in line with what their seafood taught them or falls in line with what they teach in their school. And that bias always takes precedence over finding the truth. So this guy hated Leung Ting, and he showed that bias in the so-called information that he put out there. Instead of attacking Leung Ting on the things that can be factually proven to be true, he picked yes. a really bad argument because he... Yeah, exactly. Uh, attack Lang Ting on... On, on whatever. On his, Don't even go into on, it. On his ever-changing hairstyles throughout the 70s or how he tried to hide the fact that he was balding. Go, go against him on that, man, because that is definitely a legit topic you could take him on. Yes, my teacher had a comb-over for the greater part of the later part of the 80s and the early part of the 90s before he got hair transplants. We can discuss this, okay? That's a legit thing you can, you can attack him on, all right? But saying that he claimed to be the leader of the whole Wing Chun style, look, Leung Ting's a very smart guy. And Leung Ting already by the late 70s had a huge school and already had followers internationally. The only thing sure. he's the head of is his own school. Why would he care about being the head of what Tsai Chung Tin was teaching or Wong Shen Lung was teaching? He had his own thing going on. It doesn't even make sense if you think about it logically, but anyway. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, and this is meaningless, but I'm pretty sure that the first ever Wing Chun book I ever owned was a Lung Ting book. Sure. Um, that the the big one that that, the big, that yeah the Wing Chun Kun book right. That that book is that that's the first book I, on Wing Chun I ever bought. I can't tell you how many years ago. Yeah. And. Um, that was my second book. I actually bought that book in Hong Kong in 1996. The first Wing Chun book I. The first Leung Ting book I had was Dynamic Wing Chun. I bought it in John Leung's Kung Fu store in Seattle, Chinatown. Oh, probably nice. around 94, 95. And then the second Leung Ting book I bought was Wing Chun Kun, 
I bought it at a Kung Fu supply shop on Johnson Road on Hong Kong Island, which is still there to this day. Although they don't sell that much Kung Fu stuff anymore. It's all Muay Thai gear in there. But when right, I went right, in right. there in the 90s, it was still uh, it was still like a legit Kung Fu shop. And, and I bought that book there. And I actually taught myself the Sunam Tao and Chum Q form from the book. And I'll tell you something really embarrassing. I videoed myself uh, in the 90s doing the forms as I taught myself the forms out of Lang Tang's books. And I still have this video. Oh my God. <laughs> every once in a while when I want to have an inflated ego about myself, I will play this video. But you know right. what, it actually wasn't too bad. I'm pretty good at imitating movements. And from a book, you can't tell the transition from right. one photo to the other. So when I actually do the form in front of the video camera, it almost looks like a flip book. Like you just go from one end <laughs> position to the next end position to the next end position. And I didn't know how to flow the movements there, but the end positions weren't too bad. Um, and uh, it's kind of funny. It's kind of a testament to my my weirdness of teaching myself kung fu out of books. As I'm as I'm sending Carol a message on Facebook asking her for a copy of this video right oh, now. Gee, my, my uh, yeah, for those who don't know, Carol's my wife. She oh, I'm sorry. Absolutely... I shouldn't even. She has absolutely no idea where that video is. She has no <laughs> access to my most embarrassing stuff. <laughs> I keep that well away from her. <laughs> oh man, there was a growing up. There was a. Uh, Martial Arts Supply House in Brooklyn. I'm not going to say the name of it because the guy was a prick. But um, <laughs> we used to go there all the time. And after you go in there three or four times, it was when he would start to tell you he would sell you throwing stars and nunchucks. Oh, yeah. Once he knew he could trust you, right? Once he knew you weren't, like, working for the cops. So I remember one time we went in there, and it was, like, the third or fourth time. He, like, he calls us over, like, he's selling cocaine, like, you know? He's like, I got throwing stars, you know? So, like, oh, really, how much are they? And, like, whatever they were, 75 cents each, you know? Oh, I'll take five, you know? Okay. And we buy, you know, throwing stars and whatever other various bullshit we bought back then. And I'll never forget one day going into the store. It's a true story. I was a kid. I'm, like, 13, 14. And I go in there, right? And he says to me, come here, come here. And he calls me over to the counter. And I says... Yeah, what? Like thinking like, oh, I have some... And he reaches over the counter and he clocks me right in the face. <laughs> Bang! He fucking hit me so hard. Like, wait, as if... Uh, I, wait, how old were you then? Uh, like 13. I was a kid. What? And oh, he man. clocks me. I remember I went straight down. Boom. And I got up crying. I was a kid. I'm like, what you hit me, you know? And he says... Everybody I threw sold throwing stars to is getting punched because someone threw the stars into the church wall. <laughs> and he thought that I did it, you know? Oh, man, wow. <laughs> and I said, wow. I said, well, I'm, I was, um, of course, I was streetwise enough to know to say this. I remember saying, because I was pissed off and scared shit, saying, well, I didn't throw the stars into the church wall. I would never do that. But my uncle... I'll make sure to tell my uncle, who's the chief of detectives, <laughs> that you punched me <laughs> for throwing the stars that I bought here illegally. Oh, wow. wow. You motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I can't say the name of the store. And I, you know what? And I don't know why, but I remember still going, I remember still going back to that store until I was an adult before I moved out of Brooklyn. It was amazing. Wow. Wow. 
<laughs> Back in those old days, you would, you know, you'd make up really quickly after something would happen, and then next week everything would be okay. Well, I, I'm pretty sure my uncle visited him, so that that, that did a lot to great. set him straight. Yeah, because I think well, the, way, the next time I went in, I got a free gi or something. It was like... Oh, you weren't bluffing with that. I was under the impression that the thing about your uncle was a bluff. Oh, hell no. I went home and called my uncle. I'm like, listen, this is what just happened. You know? Wow, wow that's this incredible. Is, this is what just happened. I just got punched by an adult. And... <laughs> wow, that's a really great story, man. You know, uh, on one of these podcasts, we should just... Like, I'm just going to sit back and not say anything. And I just want to hear all these, like, crazy old Brooklyn stories, man. Uh, you, should, we, we, you should think of just kind of compiling, like, maybe, like, maybe six of your greatest stories that you can <laughs> get on the podcast. And th- that would make a great podcast by itself. And then, then I could tell, like, some really funny, crazy stories from my past uh, from uh, on another podcast or whatever. But I, th- I think it would be really cool to have, like, a Sean episode where we just yeah. hear, like... We have, to, crazy. we have to check the uh, statute of limitations on some of the stuff. <laughs> you can change the names of some people to protect the innocents. Yeah, I, uh, I had some knucklehead friends growing up, and sure. I was the chief. I was the chief knucklehead. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, maybe um, before we uh, before we get out of here, I wanted to address just one more quick thing. Um, sure. We had another question on the uh, Facebook page, and I think this was from another. WT Wing Chun person um, uh, a couple podcasts ago we discussed footwork a little bit and uh, you know I was talking from my perspective that you know footwork is basically uh, contextualized to street self-defense dude standing in front of you right away you're trying to de-escalate the situation and either you got to go in and fight sure, I remember that discussion, yeah. out of there. So, so my interpretation of kind of how Wing Chun footwork is necessary isn't based on this paradigm of um, your hands are up, my hands are up, and we're kind of bobbing and weaving, dancing back and forth and trying to find each other's rhythm. For me, that's more of a sportive perspective. That's more of a fighting perspective, more of kind of a boxing, kickboxing paradigm. And that's not necessarily how I view a street self-defense going down. Having said that, I, I'm still hugely into all of that stuff because I'm a martial arts geek as well. But for the specific piece of the pie that I specialize in, it's not necessarily what I do. Chimed in because... Um, I think when I started talking about footwork, this person was expecting me essentially to say the same kind of stuff that all WT people say. Well, in Wing Chun, we have the universal solution, which for those people who don't know, uh, most Wing Chun, meaning, and when I say Wing Chun, I mean WT, meaning from the Leung Ting lineage, but I'll explain that in a moment, um, believe that you know whenever someone attacks you, like in a street fight or whatever, basically, you go forward with hands and feet. Someone attacks you, you throw a kick to the knee, you step in with chain punches, and you mow the guy down. And that's kind of the basic MO of a lot of WT people. And they call this, for lack of a better term, the universal solution, which is basically aggressive forward defense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not too different from how most Wing Chun people would, you know, essentially they do some kind of kick or step in and chain punch or whatever. It's just that in WT, we kind of gave a name to this and it was called universal solution. And I think this person was waiting for me to basically confirm that which what he knows from his WT training that footwork is arrow step in and chain punch or footwork is step in with a kick and chain punch or whatever. And um, I need to qualify that with, that's actually not how I look at Wing Chun at all. Um, when, to, to kind of keep things really simple, there's been kind of a dividing line between European WT and Hong Kong WT for a very long time. I originally learned European Wing Chun, European WT at the castle in Germany uh, for three years, and I did that full time, six hours a day, five days a week, and I learned from all the top 
European Wing Chun masters at that time. So when I first learned WT, my expression of WT was, let's say, more European in flavor, all right? And it was also the more old school European WT, which to a certain degree is closer to Hong Kong Wing Chun than what they're teaching in, in Europe now. Nowadays, Ken Speck has uh, kind of redesigned Wing Chun to be more internal and he's taken a lot of uh, older elements and he does a lot of kind of push-pull stuff and things that were not traditionally part of the Langton curriculum. And that's great. The stuff that Siva Kenshbeck does is like amazing. He's taking it into another, um, another direction. And what he's doing is absolutely great. And if someone actually has a chance to cross hands with Siva Kenshbeck and feel the stuff that he can do, it's really amazing. And it's very different from what, for example, Leung Cheng is teaching in Hong Kong. I'm in the rare boat that I've actually learned both. And so a lot of WT people in the Western world, the Wing Chun that they learned is actually filtered through the old European system, which they don't even teach in Europe anymore, oddly enough. So a lot of the terminology that Western Wing Chun people use and American Wing Chun people use, WT, is based on my Sifu's old interpretation, stuff that comes from a book called On Single Combat, which he mentions things like universal solution and four passive reflexes and passive turns and all this kind of stuff. This was my Sifu's interpretation of Leung Teng Wing Chun in 1984. My Sifu stopped interpreting Wing Chun like that probably by 1985. <laughs> and the problem is that, you know, kind of like the issues with Bruce Lee's Tao Jeet Kune Do or certain things, people take a certain crystallization, a certain development that somebody had at a certain time period as the gospel truth. So many WT instructors in Europe, they, they have espoused the older version of what my Sifu used to teach, where basically the idea of Wing Chun as a system was your opponent comes up to you, if he breaches what we call the magnetic zone, which is like a safe distance where if he's outside of that, he can't reach you, but once he's inside of it, he can. Basically, if somebody crosses what we call the magnetic zone, then like a magnet, we will shoot in right away and close the gap. And we do this either with a very direct arrow step and usually some kind of chain punches or some kind of controlling movement like Paksau or Gansau or Fuksau or whatever, or we might do that with a kick, like either a stop kick or a preemptive kick, and then still step in and chain punch the shit out of the guy. And if the guy runs away from us, we'll just keep mowing him down with chain punches and chase him into the wall until he has nowhere to go. <laughs> and if the guy decides to press us instead of going away, then we will use turning and shifting to move out of the way, cut a better angle, and then go back into chain punching the shit out of him, right? And this is basically what most Western WT practitioners believe Wing Chun to be. And to a certain degree, it is the very basic rough template of WT, but it's a gross oversimplification in my opinion. When I learned that, I learned that even in the European side, it was much more detailed than that. But I came back to the States in 2002 and started learning directly from Sifu Leung Teng. And the way he taught Wing Chun, which you could say is the Hong Kong version, I mean, it's his system, I mean, it's just Leung Teng Wing Chun, was very different. He used a lot more different types of footwork, cutting angles, we had different ways of stepping if we were attacking, different ways of stepping if we were defending. And this idea that there's a universal way to defend all attacks isn't the Hong Kong perspective. It was much more adaptive. And so sometimes I'll mention stuff about WT and I forget that a lot of my American WT audience has a much older, much more simplistic, so-called universal solution idea of what Wing Chun is 
and they might not be following me when I say that Wing Chun actually uses certain cutting angles and so on and so forth. So um, my interpretation changed quite a bit in my nine years learning from Sipu Lang Teng. So I took certain structures and certain ideas from the European Wing Chun, but I, mer I, I merged it with the Hong Kong Wing Chun template. So that's why sometimes people will say, hey, what about the universal solution? Don't you do that? Yes, but for me, the universal solution doesn't prescribe techniques. It's a concept, just like you talk about in Jeet Kune Do. It's not step forward with chain punch and arrow step or step forward with a stop kick and arrow step. The universal solution is this. When we're attacked, we go forward with hands and feet. If you actually look at my Sifu's original book where he was trying to westernize Leung Ting's Wing Chun, that's actually what he says the universal solution is. If I'm standing sideways and somebody attacks me from the side, I send my hands forward. Either I hit him or I create a bridge if I contact his arm. But I send my hands forward. In other words, I don't try to block his arms out of the air. I don't try to catch his hands out of the air. That would be hand chasing. Right. But when somebody attacks me, I send my hands forward. This is the concept of mansao, asking hands. And I will also do it with my feet, either by stepping in, closing the gap, or maybe a kick. But many Western Wing Chun people have crystallized the universal solution into two specific interpretations, arrow step and chain punch, or stop kick and chain punch. But actually the universal solution is much more conceptual and much more basic than that. When I'm attacked, I go forward with hands and feet. That's actually all it is. So there are a number of different interpretations based on the situation. So when we had that email, that message, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the guy's name. He talked about the universal solution. His interpretation of the universal solution is a fixed idea. Mine is actually a concept. The other thing that he mentioned too was about escrima. And the only thing I'm gonna say about that is this. Uh, in Europe, escrima, that's mainly Latosa escrima, was taught parallel to Wing Chun in the old EWTO. Now this was something many people don't know. Actually, Lerng Ting hated that. He hated the fact that the students who are learning Wing Chun in Germany, they would also, for example, learn uh, Filipino escrima because he would say uh, to uh, imitate my Sigong, uh, that is idiotic. That is just going to make them more confused. You know, on Monday they learn Wing Chun, on Tuesday they learn Eskima. That is not going to be the right thing for them, you know? So, uh, of course, he totally, <laughs> totally hated that. By the way, that's not a generic Chinglish accent. That's actually how my Sigong Lang Ting speaks English, all right? So, for people who've learned from Lang Ting, they will know that's not a generic Chinglish accent. That's actually how he talks, right? So, I just want people to get the feeling of what it's like to actually have a conversation with him, right? So, uh, so anyway, um, the reason why my Sifu invited Latoza at that time to teach Eskrima was because, as you know, the weapons training in Wing Chun comes quite late. And traditionally, weapons training is kind of only for the advanced students, for the loyal students, yada, yada, yada. Um, so if the Wing Chun students wanted to learn themselves, learn to competently defend themselves with a weapon, um, they would have to wait a really long time. And then they would be learning like the long pole, which is not super practical for everyday fighting, and the double knives, which is also very highly contextualized, right? So Eskrima was actually a very, um, uh, I would say uh, a very reasonable thing to add. People learn how to use a stick and a knife and bladed weapon and all that kind of stuff. But what a lot of people don't understand about WT is Eskrima and Wing Chun were like church and state. 
they were divided. They were never mixed together. There's some people that think, oh, those, especially people who hate Lang Ching, oh, those European guys, they mixed Wing Chun and Eskrima and they created their own bullshit. Uh 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 uh. When I learned in Germany, Eskrima and Wing Chun was like church and state, two different things. You even wore a different t shirt when you did Eskrima so as to not confuse the two. So that was kind of my Sifu's attempt to give the Wing Chun students practical weapons training before they would have a chance to learn the traditional weapons in Wing Chun, which would come a little bit later. When I was in Germany, I learned Eskrima. I, I, I did it. I didn't get any like ranking in it or whatever, but I learned the basics of Eskrima and I love it. I love Filipino martial arts. And from time to time, I do teach them at my school just so my students have some practical weapons training. Um, but I, I don't, it's not something I emphasize on. I'm, I'm really, uh, I really focus on Wing Chun. So those were the two points I wanted to address that he had discussed about the whole Eskrima thing. Um, yes, I've learned it, don't really teach it, only from time to time. And the, the misinterpretation that the universal solution is something that all, all WT people do in the same form that he understands it as. So those were just two things I wanted to address. That's, that's, you gave a lot of information tonight, brother. Yeah, but it won't help anybody, trust me. Because <laughs> people will still believe in the interpretation they learned. Yeah, 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 that's fine, but I still like what I learned. Oh, that Alex guy's full of shit anyway, which I totally agree with. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, uh, speaking about the screen, and then we'll get off the air right now. Um, when I first started with Steve Goldman, we used to do a lot of sparring, both empty hand and with, uh, with sticks. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I was better at the empty hand than I was at the stick. When we would do stick sparring, even though I was, quote-unquote, the teacher, I, I, I kind of sucked. Um, and I remember, like, videoing what we were doing and sending the VHS tape in the mail to Steve Golden for him to analyze it and say, like, you know, help me out here. I'm really sucking up the joint, you know? <laughs> and And it was... He actually broke a paradigm for me one day. He called me up, and he said, Sean, you know, it really dawned on me what, what's going on with your stick sparring. He said, as soon as you pick up a stick, you forget you can do. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you're trying to become something you're not. You're not a Cali man. Now, this wasn't an indictment on Cali or JKD people training in Cali. It was an indictment on me forgetting the principles of Jeet Kune Do because I picked up a weapon. Right. So the difference between how some people interpret um, weaponry in Jeet Kune Do is they look at it as if you need to train and be certified in, a, in another weapon system. Steve looks at it slightly different, for better or for worse. I'm just saying how Steve does it. And, and how he passed it to me is, you picked up the stick, yeah, maybe you can learn some drills from other systems to learn how the stick moves and, and, and coordination and things to that effect. But you spar with the idea of distance, timing, and rhythm and five ways of attack with a stick. If you pick up a knife, it's distance, timing, and rhythm, five ways of attack with a knife that you don't lose the core principles of what you're doing because you're picking up something else. Sure. And, and, and I remember like that being like one of those like the penny drop for me kind of moments, you know? Right. Like, wow, I've just, my thought process is all wrong on this, you know? I went from being a JKD guy to a Kali guy, then if we 
clashed, I became a wrestler, and then if we went to the ground, I became this, and then if we got back up, I became that, and like that that whole like trying to be a chameleon of martial arts just doesn't didn't work for me. I needed to have a core, and everything else kind of worked off that core. You know, it, it's um, when you told the, the the weaponry portion of your story, it kind of brought back the memory. I just wanted to share it a little bit. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I think, um, yeah, it's important for people to understand that they need an operating system of base concepts, principles to work off of. I think too many people are enamored by collecting stuff in martial arts. They always view, you know, like Bruce Lee always talked about, you need to find the root cause of your ignorance. Right. And I think most people believe that the root cause of their ignorance are movements and techniques they haven't learned yet, but right. they're not looking deep enough. It's something else. They just don't want to see it. It's much easier to go on YouTube and teach yourself uh, another movement, another escape, another thing, drill, whatever, and think that if you just collect enough of those, you'll finally understand martial arts. And that's why <laughs> you can put all the stuff in the world out there, or I can tell all the stories about Langting or all the secrets of Langting Wing Chun on the podcast. You could tell all the Moyat and JKB secrets that you want, and people still won't get it because they're not prepared to think the types of uh, think about the types of things they need to to really make the progress they they want in martial arts. They want the cheap and easy way. Right, and we both know that you know the cheap and easy way just is never going to work. Martial arts is about hard work. That's you right. know, it's it's. I always say kung fu is found in the drills. It's not found in the forms, and it's it's not found in secrets given over tea. It's it's kung fu is found in the drills with your seahings. That's yes. where kung fu is found. It's in the sweating. It's in the hard work. But you that, know, there's one more place where kung fu is found. Where? The dudes of kung fu podcast. The dudes of kung fu. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. We'll see you next week. All right, guys, take care. It was a lot of fun. Take care, Sean. Have a good night. Good night, brother.